How's it going? This is Captain Cam with Blackbird Guide Services, and I will be your host for today's episode of Eastern Current. And today, our guest is Travis Harrison, who is the owner of 43.2 Fishing, who's probably most known for their sheep's head jigs, but they also do a bunch of other stuff. And Travis himself is a, is a really avid angler. He's a great trout fisherman. He's a great sheep's head fisherman. He's kind of got all the bases covered. So we're going to talk sheep's head. We're going to talk fly tying. We're going to talk fly fishing. We're going to talk bull redfish. You name it. We'll probably talk about it on this one. So stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy. If I'm fishing a jig, you can bet it's going to be an iStrike Texas Eye. Dave and Ralph at iStrike have built the most versatile and durable lineup of jigs in the saltwater industry. Whether you need a finesse presentation on spooky wintertime redfish, or you need to hop a big swim bait on deep water structure for cobia and bull redfish, iStrike has the jig for you. Be sure to check out their website and use code EC10 for up to 40% off all iStrike products and 10% off all Z-Man products. The code can only be used at iStrikeFishing.com, and you can find the code and the link to their website in the podcast show notes. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Eastern Current on Patreon. There you'll be able to find our weekly Ramp Talk podcast where my guide buddies and I discuss our day-to-day fishing on the way to the boat ramp in the morning. You will also be able to find extra video content that you can't find on YouTube. If you've loved listening to the Eastern Current podcast, subscribing to our Patreon is a great way to help support the show. Travis, what's up, man? Nothing much, man. Did you get the uh, Did you get the tyrant to sleep? Yeah, yeah, the tyrant to sleep. He's good. He's just got a routine. You got to follow his rules. That's the truth. <laughs> you and I yeah. both know. Um, the yeah. nighttime routine is an important thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, thank you first of all for taking the time to do this and and also um just joining me on on this podcast and the main reason I wanted to bring you on is I think you have a really good company and I think you have a really good product um but you're also super good at a, at a lot of different things um whether it be fly tying whether it be trout fishing you know so I I don't think we're going to have an issue talking about that stuff <laughs> Yeah, I won't think. Uh, fish, fishing is probably one thing. Uh, I'm more of an introvert, but whenever I start talking about fishing, I can, I can talk somebody until they're tired of talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And so you're yeah. you're out of the Newburn area, is that yep. right? Yep, Newburn. Yep, Newburn, North Carolina. That's correct. Yep, that's an awesome fishery up there. It's, it's crazy how much different it is from our fishery, which is you know only about an hour and a half south of you. That's right. But it's like a completely different style of fishing almost. Um, but we'll get into yeah. that a little bit later. Um, yeah, why, sure. don't, why don't you start off with just like, you know, how did, how did you get into fishing? When did it all, when did the obsession start, if you will? Well, honestly, man, I mean, uh, I guess just more so of a testament to my uh, dad and my granddad. I mean, um, I've been fishing even before I can remember. My dad would take me, um, 
and I have vague memories of fishing uh, like the Moose River um, around like Seven Springs and Kenton. I mean, I can remember going like wade wade fishing for you know bass and bluegill and stuff in in the summertime. Um, and then some of my earliest memories of like actually inshore saltwater would be like with my granddad um, and my dad both. Um, you know, we'd speckle trout fish around a lot around like Moorhead City and um, like Pamlico County, Bayboro, um, and those areas, you know, in the brackish and stuff like that. Um, so, so really I've been, I've been fishing basically my entire life, um, and continue to learn stuff every year. Um, I'd say like the older I've gotten, the more my focus has been brackish and salt water more than anything. And, even more so now that, you know, I make my own like flies and um, tackle for sheet's head and, and even, you know, jig heads for saltwater fishing. You know, I mean, um, I, the, the older I get, the more, the more salt I feel like I focus on more than anything. Um, it's just such a variety you can do, you know, um, but yeah. That's, that's the truth. Do, do you feel like, since you've since you've done a lot of both freshwater and saltwater fishing, do you feel like saltwater fishing poses more challenges than freshwater fishing, or do you feel like it's about the same? Mm, I think it depends on kind of well, most of all the fishery that you're that you're working. Um, like one challenge, I guess, around like upper Noose River, like around Seven Springs and Noose is like some of those areas, especially closer to the, to the like boat ramps and stuff where, you know, people can launch kayaks and, and, you know, smaller watercraft that they don't like with just a trolling motor or something. A lot of those areas are like heavily pressured and, um, you just have to deal with that. And then like upper Noose River, a lot of people don't even deal with it because there's areas where the current is, is, you know, pretty strong and, and it can be, it can be frustrated, frustrating, you know, fishing those areas. Um, for that reason, like if you don't fish a log jam just right, um, you're, you're going to stay hung up most of the day until you kind of get the hang of like the feel for feeling your bait through the structure or whatever when you're, you know, bass fishing and stuff. So, there's challenges to both. Um, I mean, I'd say, obviously, the, the salt water, you have to, there's a, there are more, I would say there are more factors in the salt um, as far as, you know, tide and um, and boat traffic for me, having a smaller watercraft is, is things I have to think about whenever I'm, like, planning a trip, especially on the weekends. Right. Um, you know, I avoid a lot of areas that are high, high traffic or, um, tend to work a lot of like no weight zones. Um, because even though some people don't really pay attention to them, um, yeah, it's just, you know, there's challenges in both, but, um, I'd say there are some more factors with like tidal areas that you have to consider, um, based off of whatever species you're targeting. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. Um, Bass fishing is one of those things I'd love to get back into. It's, it, I, I'm kind of with you. Like it, when I was a kid, that's what I did with my dad the most. 
Um, yeah. And then when I discovered, you know, inshore saltwater fishing or just saltwater fishing in general, it really mm-hmm. became an obsession. And then the bass kind of went to the wayside. Um, yeah. But it, it would kind of be interesting to me thinking about it now, knowing kind of what I'd know about fishing now to mm-hmm. be like, oh, man, I'm going to go, you know, target bass today. And now that I, yeah. I like feel like my knowledge is so much larger than it was when I was a kid, I wonder if, you know, yeah. I would be more yeah. successful. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, like, you, you talk to, like, a lot of, like, there's a lot of kind of uh, bass anglers. I, I never would call myself, like, a bass angler, you know, like, I mean, I was on a John boat or, a, you know, I fished some on a kayak, not much, but most of the time I was on my same John boat that I had now for bass, and um, I would just go and do the best I could. And I, I mean, I caught a ton of bass, especially if I was fishing ponds and stuff like that, but, like, there were some lakes and stuff that I would really struggle in that were high pressure um, that a lot of better bass fishermen could probably dial in faster than me, but um, I think, I almost think that, there's a lot of like really like tournament bass fishermen that come into the saltwater world and like they apply their, you know, strategies of picking apart a body of water um, a lot quicker than, um, you know, somebody just that jumps right into saltwater. Like a bass fisherman, you know, they, they know how to cover ground and, and locate locate fish and, and read electronics is one thing I would say a bass fisherman, a lot of bass fishermen have um to their advantage but that's really true they also usually have about 12 rods sitting <laughs> on the bow of their boat ready for any sort of situation <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah um but, did you ever did you ever tie flies for bass when you were a kid what when did the when did the fly tying start um no i never tied when i was when i was a kid um I was always fascinated by it um, and always wanted to do it, but I, I never, I never tied my own flies. Most of like when I was a kid, like I'd say I started fly fishing with my dad, like we would wade fish and um, we would like use fly rods for fishing with like cork and a cricket. Um, I think it's, it's really an awesome tool for, for fishing that str- like structure with a cork and a cricket because like if you use a floating line, you know, you can do like a roll cast and position your cork very close to structure, which is ideal for like the larger, you know, panfish or whatever. Um, so that's where my fly fishing started. And then um, kind of when I like would fish ponds and stuff, I, I would kind of toy around with like little bits, popping bugs or bits, bass bugs and stuff like that and have a lot of success you know, catching bass and, and bluegill and stuff and even crappy, um, like in the spring of the year when they would um, bed up and stuff like that. Um, it's kind of where my fly fishing addiction started. Um, and then I only started tying my own flies like almost four years ago now. Um, and man, like the fly time started, I guess that was the original question. Like I, I had... Um, like I always use spinning gear for speckled trout and I would use dressed treble hooks for a lot of my like suspending baits, like top waters and uh, mirror lures and uh, jerk baits and stuff like that. 
and you know you go to a store and they're like for a good quality you know gamagatsu treble hook they're like four dollars a piece or something like that mm-hmm. and, and i would i would say i'm not gonna pay four dollars for one hook <laughs> i'm just not i'm not I'm not gonna do it um i but, can do that myself yeah yeah uh, i can do that myself and i learned a lesson about you know why something is four dollars i guess i mean um i don't know if, if they're worth four dollars or whatever but um, I will say a dress treble is pretty effective on a lot of hard baits, but um, once I purchased like my vice, it was like that was just kind of the gateway drug into uh, the entire room of my house, completely encapsulated of uh, fly tying material and feathers and bucktail and stuff like that. So <laughs> you start with you know a few treble hooks and some flash and some like two dollar bags of um, little mini net tackles to tie dress treble hooks and and then you're thousands of dollars in the hole of lifetime material so yeah that's just kind of the development um it it is a slippery slope that is the truth (laughs) very i mean i have well first of all it makes me feel a little bad that you've been tying for four years and you are away better fly tire than me because I started about eight years ago and uh, I look at your flies that you post on social media and I'm like oh my god how the heck did he even make that thing so that's that's really props to you man you've you've uh, it's props to all the YouTube really all the YouTube (laughs) videos that I've watched of, of all the people that you know been before me I guess you know I mean, you learn a lot on your own, and obviously, time at the vice is how you get better. I mean, I've spent a lot of time over the last four years since I started at behind the vice, so that's how you get better. But that's um, true. I don't, I don't take credit for for everything that you see. I mean, I, I try to be as unique as I can, but man, there's just a wealth of knowledge in, in some of those old fly tires that have been tied since you know the 60s or whatever i mean i'd love to pick the brain of some of those people that just yeah they know what they know what needs to be in a fly and what is unnecessary in a fly there's a lot of the flies that i post that half of the half of the contents of the fly serve no functional purpose um (laughs) that's kind of why they say ugly flies catch fish and pretty flies exactly (laughs) like they just they're in a box in my room right now because you go and I mean a lot of the flies I tie they look great in the water and they fish you know they fish great but there's a lot of flies that you're like man that's an awesome looking fly and then you know you put it in the water and it doesn't swim any better than you know just a fly that's bucktail and flash you know right right yeah I mean that is a it's a really good point there's yeah a lot of flies out there that look really pretty but you know, sometimes they don't need all the flash and the, all the extra yep. materials, and they would catch just as many fish. Um, yep. That's yep. A really less, good is, less is more a lot in almost every situation on a fly time by. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you one thing that, that, you know, you seem to be really good at that is something that I've just started getting into and, and have definitely struggled, man. There, it's, it is a skill within itself is uh stacking and and spinning deer hair that is uh oh my god that is not easy it's uh 
probably one of my bigger struggles. Um, to even still, I, like, I haven't tied deer hair in a couple months now, and it would take me a, it would take me a minute um, to tie something I was proud of right now. Um, it's something that took a long time to even get halfway proficient. Um, and it's something that if you don't do it semi-regularly that you'll need some, like, if you don't use it, you will lose, like, some of your efficiency um, with tying with deer body hair um, and belly hair. Um, I'm proficient, and that's about about it. Uh, I can I can name a dozen people that are that are professional at uh, at spinning and stacking deer hair, and I'm not on that list. <laughs> not well, even close. It, it's crazy <laughs> how some people get into that and just like, all right, this is what I'm gonna be really good at. That's, that's right. Yeah, and and they are good at it. Um, like um, Pat Cohen is. Man, he's amazing. Um, Pat Cohen, uh, Rich Strollis, he's extremely good at tying, uh, like, deer hair streamers and stuff like that. I mean, you watch them guys, and, like, it's just amazing to see them tie with it because, like, for instance, like, bucktail. Like, I can grab any bucktail. They're all different. I can grab any bucktail, and in a couple seconds, I can say, this is how this bucktail is going to act when I, you know, put tension on it or whatever. That's awesome. And and I, like I cannot say the same. <laughs> well, I mean, it takes time just like anything else, but it doesn't take me a long time to tie a fly out of just bucktail, but like you watch Pat Cohen tie a like immaculate deer hair popper that looks like it's a piece of cork. And he can tie the thing in like seven minutes and trim it like perfectly and it's like it's just it would take me 45 minutes to tie that fly that looked half as good and and they just it's just like seamless for them that they're just pros you know but um yeah deer hair is a challenge but it's it's really awesome material and really versatile for you know top water obviously but um like suspending flies and divers and stuff like that it's, it's really a really versatile material and then you know you see it on a bunch of redfish flies that um like uh sliders and stuff like that um top water sliders and then like a like borsky sliders or whatever it's like a mm-hmm. classic you know bonefish fly redfish fly yep. um yeah and it it just helps it helps invert your hook like hook up um, mm-hmm. if that's what you wanted to do and then it helps your fly land more softly on the water because if you put a buoyant material you know on top of the hook shank or whichever side of the hook shank you want it it'll help kill your fly um, without having to use as much lead or you know whatever kind of eyes that you put on the fly but yeah no that's that's yeah. very true and it's it's an important thing and uh, when you're fishing for redfish for sure um, if you're fishing around oysters, fish around grass, you know, I can't tell you how many, how many flies I have tied, you know, back, back in the day from like YouTube, you know, stuff where they right. put the, put the lead eyes on the, on the bottom of the hook or on the bottom of the shank. And I'm like, Oh, this is going to ride hook point up, throw it in nope. and it, and it rides sideways. And I'm like, man, I, damn it. That is <laughs> Man, I have been infuriated by that. It's like, 
you get it in the water and it doesn't do what you want. And yeah. you trim a little bit and you're like, this should do it. And then you go back and no, not even close. It's, it's like, yeah. yeah that, I, I, that, that's one of the big reasons I have really fallen in love with the Umqua. I think it's the XS506 jig hook a jig hook yeah oh my god i think we're right hook going up every time i'm just like yep. why, why am i going to tie on anything else other than this hook because it rides hook going up no matter what i do yeah yeah jig hooks are the cheat code for doing a fly <laughs> yeah. for sure yeah that's the truth if you ever have an issue just tie it on a jig hook and you'll be all right um yep. one thing i did want to bring up and, and you and i had um talked about this over the phone i think a couple of weeks ago but you had uh tied a couple bucktails um that you were throwing under popping corks for the y'all's uh bull reds that come through okay yeah okay and they, and they supposedly worked super well yeah man so um <laughs> i guess i kind of have an obsession for like i could go and buy an ice strike um, diesel eye for sure and it would work excellent for bull ribs but like I guess that's where like my tackle making venture why it's gone to the point that it's at now it's like I have an addiction for making it myself um, like whether I like just I know I'm going to lose money I don't care it's like even more so like just making it myself going out and catching something with something that you made from, you know, wheel weights and like just a hook and wheel weights. And then you, you know, obviously tie the boat tail and stuff. But, um, yeah, it was like, I can't remember, September or whatever. Um, I caught my first two bull reds in one morning on uh, a bucktail jig that I tied the night before. Um, and it was like a Menhaden color scheme. Um, just like, you know, white, purple, olive and stuff like that. But I tied it on a, one of the jig molds that I use a lot for speckled trout and redfish. And I modified it to take a heavier duty and a larger um, size hook on the like quarter ounce jig head. Um, and it, that morning we only, we only landed two and both of them were on the bucktail that I tied. And um, after it, I landed, the, I'm sorry. Did you, you had a buddy with you. Too, yep. right that was throwing yep. a popping cork with a soft plastic yeah yeah he was throwing um he tried like an airhead um you know z-man diesel minnow stuff like that and he had like the day before he had crushed them you know i think they caught like four or five the day before and like they say every day i'm not a bull red expert by any means but they say every day can be different you know mm-hmm. um but he hadn't caught anything that morning and I was like, man, we, I got another one right here if you want to try it. And he put it on, and I want to say, like, five casts later, he had, <clears throat> like, a big bull, like, upper 40-inch, mid-40s, upper 40s, like, nose, <laughs> nose to bait. Oh, like, he, he got he got it, like, 10 feet from the boat and started reeling it in, and the bull drum, like, came up behind the bait, like, and ate it. Oh, at, we, watched, we, we watched and eat it at the boat, and uh, just because of – how close he was to the boat like the cork was two feet off the end of the rod when he ate it and um he didn't get a good hook set on it and uh ended up losing it after a couple minutes but he ended up having like two or three more bites within the next hour or so um and it was just a 
a grind, like a slow grind day, and we only caught those two that morning. But um, like all the action that we had was on those bucktail jigs, and then I tied a charter captain, um, uh, Brad Gunners, I think it's Gunnarsson, but it's going to be outdoors. Um, I, I think that's his last name is Brad Gunnarsson, but I might be butchering that. But I tied him some, and actually on those instead of using a soft plastic trailer. Um, like I use on my bucktail, I tied um, bunny strip, like a seven-inch piece of bunny strip on this bucktail jig. And like he went out and blistered them like several days in a row with them things. Um, and it was kind of towards the tail end of the bull drum. So I'm really excited for next season just to kind of see kind of how that develops. But, um, yeah, I had a lot of success with those like um, bunny strip bucktail jigs. and bucktails for bull drum yeah um, that's that's awesome yeah. um a couple things one is there's no better feeling than <laughs> pulling in a fish and watching something that you made hanging out of its yeah. mouth yeah i mean that's yeah, sure. such a good feeling um then secondly how do you how do you keep the I mean, on the on the bucktail that you made, but also just on flies that you make, because this is something that, you know, even I struggle with, and I've been time with rabbit zonker forever. Um, but how do you keep it from fouling up on the hook, especially on a bucktail <laughs> where you got it, you know, it's a long, I think you said six yeah. or seven inches, yeah. hanging off of a, a jig head. How do you keep that from fouling up uh, on the hook, or do you just pray for the best? I know. I mean, um, you need to plan for that um, because you're right. Like, even like any book to any rabbit zonker that goes past the bend of the hook has like some potential to foul if you don't kind of um, do something to prevent it from happening. Um, if I'm remembering right, on the bucktails for bull drum that had like the seven inch bunny strip, uh just use the bucktail um, to support the rabbit because depending on which bucktail you have, you know, some bucktail is really like soft and um, like really fine hairs, but there's some that are really coarse and stiff hair, like that has some, maybe some wavy texture to it. Um, so basically on those, I would just use the bucktail to prevent the rabbit from fouling on the hook. But, um, I guess one tip for that would be, and I didn't do it on these particular ones, but I do, I like, I tie a lot of bait fish flies with rabbit strip for the tail section um, because it just has an awesome action in the water. Um, but, it, like, if you go look at a bunch of tarpon, tarpon fishermen, like people that tie, like, um, tarpon bunnies and, like, was it like a snake fly or something like that mm -hmm. is what they call, like, most of those people, they'll use a piece of mono um, either that get punctures through the rabbit hide mm -hmm. and then like extends past the bend of the hook, like maybe a half inch or even an inch if you want to make a really long um, rabbit zonker tail. And basically what that does is like if you can, if you can separate like if you can basically add a joint in the rabbit that's past the bend of the hook it's a lot 
less likely for that rabbit to like wrap back on itself and then wrap another inch back towards the hook eye and then around the bend of the hook. Mm-hmm. Um, so mono mono support is a really like a really good and durable way to support rabbit zonker. Um, but you can also use like stiffer materials like bucktail is a good natural material. You could use something like SF fiber or um, probably not EP. I probably wouldn't use EP fiber um, for supporting rabbit. I mean, you could, but um, you could also use like a, a flexible UV resin. Like you could coat. I mean, there's just, you just have to get creative and salt. Like that's another thing I love about you know, making my own tackle is like, you have a situation that you have a problem that you want to solve. Um, and you know, you just have to figure out what's the best solution. Like there might be 10 solutions or what's the best for this particular solution. Um, so the way I did it for bull drum is I use bucktail, but you know, tomorrow if I was tying a, a cobia fly with a, you know, a long rabbit strip tail, I might use mono or tarpon fly or something like that. I mm-hmm. might use mono support, but, um, just depends on what you want. Um, kind of like if, like bucktail, if it's on a quarter ounce jig head, it doesn't matter if, because the lid is going to sink the bucktail no matter what, pretty much. But like on a tarpon fly, bucktail is a, a relatively buoyant material. So if you don't want a fly to be as buoyant, then, you know, you might need to use like mono or, you know, fluorocarbon lead doesn't really matter between the two, but, you might need to use that instead so you don't add that um, buoyant material or um, that extra material to the fly. Um, it's just you have to solve a solution that meets, you know, your need um, for that particular application. Yep. No, those are – it's a great point. There's a, a bunch of different ways to go about it. That's the, <laughs> yeah. beauty, that's the beauty of fly tying, I guess, is, you know, you can have – you can have yep. five materials and you can tie, you know, God, knows, God knows how many flies. <laughs> yeah. You can tie yeah. a lot like of buck. different variations. <laughs> yeah. Bucktail. Um, like you have bucktail, you can tie like 200,000 flies just with bucktail. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, let's move into, you know, your, your company, 43.2 Fishing. Um, how did you how did you come up with the idea that, you know, I'm going to start making, did it start off with the sheep's head jig? I, I know it did not. Um, so I started making my own jig heads like long before I started actually tying flies. Um, same, same situation. <laughs> like I was in high school, actually. Um, I think I was a sophomore in high school. It's been, like 10 or 12 years ago now, um, I was using like blue water candy, um, ball jig heads or whatever. And uh, at the time, I only fished with like eight pound mono for speckled trout. That's all I ever fished with. And I would lose a lot of them if I was fishing snaggy structure. So I was like, well, I wonder what it would take to make my own. And that's kind of where my tackle making started. And then, you know, I bought several other jig molds. And um, long story short, it just, kind of landed where it is now like same thing like i see sheep's head jigs like well i wonder if i can start making my own sheep's head jigs or whatever so yeah i started making i started making my own and like along the way you know i would 
I would give, or, you know, people would buy jigs from me. I wouldn't make any money on them. Like, they would just pretty much pay for my expenses or whatever, like, mm-hmm. to friends and family and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I guess 43-2 fishing started about whenever COVID started um, because, like, I was never into social media at all, like, ever. Um, but we got pretty much disconnected from all of our friends and family for, you know, two years pretty much. So um, that's kind of how 42.2 started. Like, I started tying flies a little, like, just a year, but probably a year before 42.2 fishing. Um, and I guess I can't go through this podcast without kind of saying the purpose of 42.2 fishing. Um, so, Please. Let's yeah, yeah, that's right. So 43.2 fishing, basically where that comes from is a um, scripture, Isaiah 43.2. Um, and as a Christian, like I said, it's like fellowship with your like other believers or non-believers, just fellowship with anyone is just such a critical part of, of daily life for everyone. Um, and when you get disconnected from everybody, it just breaks, almost breaks a part of, of something that you hold so dear, um, you know, friends and just hanging out with friends and talking with friends and working through like hard times of life with, with friends. I mean, it's just, you lose a support system. So that's kind of where 43.2 fishing started. Um, Makes a lot of sense to me. Was, was just using it as a tool to have a bigger stage to share like mm-hmm. my belief in Jesus Christ, basically. Um, and basically what Isaiah 43.2 um, says is that basically, in, in short, um, no matter what is going on in your life, um, like no matter the fire that you get put under, no matter the stress that you're under, um, God is there to, to support you through that, um, even if you don't feel like you have any friends um, or any, you know, support system, God can be your support system. And that's, you know, you, you go fishing a lot or I go fishing a lot by myself and you get out there and you think like just about how like you have hard times in your life and um, and you feel like you have nowhere to go. And like for me, that that's my refuge in, in difficult times um, when I feel like I can't talk to anyone, even my closest friends. Um, there's no one closer to me than, than God because he created me and he, he knows every hair on my head. But that, what that verse says, I'll just read it now. I mean, it says, um, when you pass through the waters, and that's kind of why I chose it, just thinking about fishing, you know, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And it's God talking. Um, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Um, it's just powerful to me. It speaks directly to my heart. It's something I hold dear. Um, that's kind of where 42.2 fishing came from. But um, back to the tackle, tackle making. Um, that's, yeah, just it just developed from that and um, like making it for myself. And then just kind of 
I don't know where it'll go long term. I don't know if it'll ever be a full time job. Um, currently, I'm an engineer um, at Cherry Point, and um, I love my job. I'm, I feel like I have a, a place there, and I'm, I'm good at my job. I get to create, uh, you know, tools. It's, it's, it's just part of my nature to solve problems, and, and that's why I'm an engineer. Um, I feel like I'm good at my job, and and I get to solve problems every day at my job. And then when I come home and get on a fly time bice or um, the lead pot to make jigs, I get to solve more problems there. So <laughs> it's just a passion. You get um, to solve problems all day. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's right. Um. Yep. So your the the sheep's head jigs are really cool, in my opinion. Um you probably make the widest variety of colors on out of any sheep's head jigs on the market. Would you agree with that? I mean, I'm not, I make a lot of colors um, and I'm always open to, like you said, I'm always open to solving a problem for somebody that they have. Like I'll make a custom color um, for anyone at no additional charge because I guess what I love to do. Um, and if I have a picture of something from nature, I can, I can usually, I've been working with the jig paint long enough that I kind of know how I've learned how the different colors of powder paint interact with one another. So normally within a few tries, I can get pretty close to, to a color. Um, if I'm trying to match something like custom. Um, so I mean, I mean, I have a hundred different colors of powder paint and then I can do a combination of any of those colors. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I offer, I think it's like 20 colors. Like if somebody messaged me right now and said, Hey, what colors do you have? I would send them about 20 or 25 different colors. That, yeah. Um, in the, in the like, colors, the, the colors are cool in my opinion because they're natural colors. They're like, yeah, yeah. the fiddler crab color. Yeah. The, yeah sea urchin color i believe and mm-hmm. they're like so well camouflaged that they look like the side of a piling which is where you would be you know most likely fishing yeah. for sheep's head <laughs> yeah that's kind of the goal like i mean i'm not a professional sheep's head fisherman but um i have noticed that like there's some days it doesn't matter like you could drop a you know a hot pink jig down there and they choke it instantly. Some days it just doesn't does not matter. But I mean, that's not the days that I'm really concerned with. Um, I do think there's days where sheep's head can be kind of finicky. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They can be. They can be. I mean, they're they're a, a really fascinating fish. Like you'll go one day, like one weekend, there's a set of pilings and catch thirty on this set of pilings, and then the next weekend you can go and try to catch the same tide and you won't do anything. And then you'll move 200 yards and get on a different set of pilots. It's almost like the school is just like, okay, we're going to eat here this day. Yeah. And Um, sometimes this is the most frustrating, like the most frustrating (laughs) is when you're fishing a set of pilings and you're like, there's no sheep set here. And then you look in the water and you see three of them coming up, chewing on barnacles. (laughs) And you're like, uh, (laughs) What, there is what's, wrong, what's wrong with, what's wrong <laughs> yeah, with my setup? Right. What's going on here? Um, yeah, that's, that, that's ha- kind of that the, happens too. Yeah, that's kind of the, 
where I'm at, like sheep's head. I mean, if you look, their eyes are the size of a quarter, even on a small sheep's head. So, like, obviously they can see, like, everything um, day or night. They can see, you know, really good. And I think a lot of people have the misconception that sheep's head are, like, these super lazy, like, kind of bottom-feeding, slow. They're not that at all. Like, if you watch a sheep's head, like, they're never sitting still, pretty much. I mean, you'll see them on the back of a pile and like crunching on barnacles, but but they're most they're of the just time, constantly moving up and down, moving yeah, up and down, up and down. Yeah, they're moving up and down, working. Um, but kind of that was where like my jigs or whatever. I would either try to match the bait that I was using, or I'd try to match like the bottom or the structure that um, fishing, whether it's concrete or wood or rock piles or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of and I, I, I've had days where like I'd be fishing with one color and say well the water with the tide change the water went crystal clear and I switched to like blue crab is probably like my favorite color in clear water mm-hmm. and I switched to a blue crab and instantly start smoking them so like in those situations like I have no reason to believe that the color doesn't take take part in the success or whatever um, it may be a coincidence, but I feel like it's happened enough times that it's not. Um, so that's, that's kind of my sale pitch on, on color. Um, I think, I think it, it matters I, in yeah. some situations. I agree. I, I agree 100%. I think it's a, it's a great idea and it's something that you don't see on a lot of sheep's head jigs. Uh, they're, they're usually either just plain lead or like unpainted or they're like bright orange or, you know, bright pink or, um, which is all, which is plain lead is also a really, I mean, it's a really great color, honestly, like, especially once it, once it sits in the salt for a little while and gets kind of, yeah, gets a little corroded, gets a little faded. (laughs) Looks kind of like some, some scrap piece of metal on that you would see on the dock somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that's right. Yeah. That's something that sheep said, I'm sure used to seeing, um, so, uh, other than the, the sheep's head jigs, are you making, you, you're making jig heads too, right? For like soft plastics. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm working, I'm working on, um, like a CAD model for, or I'm going to develop a CAD model for my own custom soft plastic jig head mold. I just have to find the time to do it. Um, but I, I do make soft plastic jig heads, um, and I mean they're they're great jig heads. Um, you know, several different sizes. Like I make one very similar to like the Blue Water Candy Ball Jig, um, which I've modified it a little bit. So like all of my jig heads have a wire keeper because, in my opinion, there's not much of a better keeper than a wire keeper um, that can be easily removed like if the plastic gets shredded or whatever by a bluefish especially in the salt um you know like screw lock screw mm-hmm. lock jig head yep. there's nothing that will hold better than a screw lock jig head but like putting a z-man on screw lock is is a pain to me um, so yeah it only takes um, about 10 minutes yeah but I mean, once it's there it's there but that's um, the truth. It, it, it is a pain so that's kind of why i went with like just a standard wire keeper um because they just hold the plastic so well and um it's you know it's really fast and i think efficiency on the water is is really important important um 
So if you spend half your cast with a plastic, you know, slit down to the bend of the hook, you're you're pretty much wasting half of your time on the water. Um, yeah, if you're not, uh, I don't. If you don't have a line yep. in the water, you're not catching fish. That's right, and I mean, I don't get a lot of time on the water anyway, so I want to make the time I have effective. And um, I've had a lot of success with my jigs, and I've never, I've sold a good amount, and um, never had anyone come back and say say anything negative. Um, other than when I first modified my mold to take a wire keeper, I did have someone tell me that it was too big and they were having trouble beating the plastic on it. Um, but I fixed that and uh, haven't had any negative feedback since. So that's kind of what I live off of is feedback from, from anyone that gets anything from me. So, Yeah. yeah. Awesome. But, um, yeah. I had one cool question that I just thought of on the, on the sheep's head jigs. Mm-hmm. What, so when I when I sheep's head fish, a lot of times I'll I'll use either one of your jigs or I'll use like a Carolina rig with a pretty small beefy hook. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do the hooks on your sheep's head jigs, or what what size are they? Or are they just uh, like a total custom size that you can? No, they're not a they're not a custom hook. I mean, it's a standard must add like uh two X strong jig hook. Um, and I mean, they're trying to think of a comparison, like anyone that uses eye strike, um, mm-hmm. trout eye jigs or something like their trout eye in the smaller, what three sixteenth size. I want to say it has like a one alt hook and, and like that is a, I don't know what hook they use exactly, but that's a, pretty good size comparison as to what my one-all hook is like um, and, and that like a one-all hook would fit a one-quarter three-eighths half ounce and a three-quarter ounce sheet set jig and those four sizes are probably like like one ounce three-quarter and half are very common and three-eighths and one-quarter for like slack tide is like an awesome tool um, because, I mean, the more you shoot that fish, the more you realize the lighter the weight that you have, the better. Um, mm-hmm. The less jig you can get by with is the best, all the way down to, like, no jig and just free line the crab or whatever. But um, it's just, you know, those 30-minute situations where you can do that. But, um especially down around your way where the current gets so strong. I don't know if a quarter ounce jig has an application down there, but um, up here around like Moorhead, there's, there's times where I use a quarter ounce jig a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, they go from a one alt jig hook up to like a five alt in the three ounce size. Um, and there's, there's some people that use a three ounce size. I never use it personally. I don't really fish structure that allows for it, but I mean, they catch, you know, 15 and 16 inch sheep's head on a five alt jig hook, which would, you, people wouldn't think that, but if they're eating, it doesn't matter. Like <laughs> yeah. you can catch, you can, you can catch a 16 inch sheep's head on a five alt jig hook, like no problem. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, so. just real quick on sheep's head fishing. What is your, what's your favorite bait to pin on to, your uh so the 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 sheep's head jigs that uh travis makes are called jawbreakers which is a awesome name by the way 
Um, <laughs> what, what's your favorite bait to pin on to those things? Uh, I'd have to say mud crab, like by far. I mean, I'm probably like a mud crab purist, but uh, <laughs> I just, I just think they're a lot more durable bait. Um, like as far if you're, especially if you're dealing with you know sea bass and small sheephead and stuff, they just once you learn how to hook them, um, once you learn how to hook them, and personally, like a lot of people will cut their crab, um, or crack the shell or um, they'll expose the hook. I, I almost never do that. Um, you leave the, you leave the hook inside the crab. <laughs> the large majority of the time, I, I'll leave the hook inside the crab, um, and I might stick just like the very tip of it. But I'll never have the barb outside the crab. Um, I just feel like like I lose a lot more bait that way. Um, like yeah. you, you know, a lot of people say sheephead. Like you got to set the hook right before they bite, um, which is just basically what that means is those people get a black sea bass bite and they set the hook thinking it's a sheep's head and that's what takes the crab off the hook is mm-hmm. the hook set. Yeah. Like when you set the hook, every time you set the hook, like nine times out of ten, whether it's a sheep's head or not, your bait's going to be gone. Whether it's a sheep's head taking it or you set the hook and, you know, that hook set breaks the crab off the hook. But a hook set is the, I'll say, a hook set wastes more bait than than sheep said most of the time yeah i'm with you i I, that is something sheep said fishing i absolutely love but it's something (laughs) that it's something that i usually only get to do when like it's way too windy to go sight fish redfish or you know trout are around aren't around or you know something that is like this is the only thing that we can do today um, which is <laughs> yeah. unfortunate because I love it. I would do it all the time. But um, in yeah. the in the other big factor for us, especially in in our neck of the woods, is boat traffic can be uh, a pretty abysmal yeah. experience. It's, it's definitely worse. <laughs> it's worse down there for sure. Um, like, like even for me, I live like thirty five minutes from Swansboro, and even just Swansboro is is ten times worse than than Moorhead, in my opinion. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like the further south you go, the worse it gets. Yeah, so. that's the truth. Um, but going back to, like, you know, when you when you think you are feeling a, a sheep's head eating your crab, something mm-hmm. that I've always struggled with is like, how long do I let them eat it for, or do I like, is the do you just set the hook immediately when you feel something nibbling on it? And what I have found, and maybe this is wrong, but the, I mean it's it's brought me success in the past is if I feel those little nibbles, cause a lot of times like I, I, I find that sheep's head, well, you'll feel a little nip, 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 nip. And yep. then once I let them nip it for about two to five seconds, I'll just kind of reel up just a little bit. And if I feel weight, that's when I set the hook. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was going to say. Normally I don't set the hook until I either feel weight or I don't feel weight. <laughs> so, so what I mean way. by that, what I mean by that is, there you know, like you said, sheep's head move up and down the piling. So, if a sheep's head eats your crab and is moving up the piling, you're not going to feel. You're not going to feel weight. It's yeah, just going to like it's like where the jig goes. You know, you don't have contact with your jig anymore. So, 
at that point, I'll do kind of like you say, I'll either lift my rod tip slightly. You don't want to lift it too high because then you won't have any leverage to set the hook. But I'll just lift my rod tip slightly or either I'll reel down and, you know, take the slack back out of the line and then I'll kind of slowly lift my rod. And if I feel weight after I tighten up on them, then I'll set the hook. But in my opinion, I'd rather lose the crab to the sheep's head than to a hook set. Oh, so yeah. I'd rather I'd rather the sheep's head take the crab, and then I say, okay, that was a sheep's head bite. Put another crab on, drop it back, and try them again. <laughs> usually, usually they'll come right back. They're like, oh man, we're getting free yeah, crabs today. Yeah, All either right. that or he just busted that crab everywhere. And you know, sheep's head they'll be in schools a lot sometimes. Um, Definitely. So you yeah. know, so he, he he just busted this huge mud crab down there. So all those other sheep that are all around eating the scraps off of that crab or whatever. So, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, yeah. A lot of times, and you know, a lot of people do this, but you know, if it, for any listeners who are interested, bringing a paint scraper is never a bad idea. Um, <laughs> you get set yeah. up on a piling or around a bunch of pilings, scrape off a bunch of, you know, not too many cause you don't want to fill them up. Um, yeah. but just give them a little appetizer Scrape off some barnacles yeah. and let those sink down to the bottom. And, you know, I've had. Yeah, you can. It's hard, I mean, it's hard, it's hard see, to say if honest, that works. <laughs> I mean, I think, I don't know. I've never, I've never done that and smoked the sheep's head directly after. I've done that and smoked the black drum directly after. Yeah. I've never done it. I've never done it and smoked the sheep's head. So I, I just. I just, I don't really waste time if I'm looking for sheep's head doing it. Um, I, I think it, you know, obviously sheep's head eat barnacles and it can't, probably can draw them. Um, but I think it draws a lot of trash fish and smaller sheep's head sometimes. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a benefit or not. Um, I, I, I don't either. I have had, I've definitely had days, but given I do this every time. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. There's no telling, yeah. but I've definitely had days where I've scraped barnacles and then we've caught like 15 sheep's head. I'm like, oh man, it's definitely because yeah. I scraped the barnacles. <laughs> Which yeah. It's probably, probably not yeah. true. You might have caught 30 if you hadn't. Yeah, those, right. all those sheep. <laughs> yeah, they got full and we're like, all right, we're done. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I think, I think, I feel like we covered most of, you know, what forty three two does? Um, yeah, we didn't really talk about fly tying that much, but maybe we'll have to do another episode. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure you will be back on here in the future. Yeah. Um, but I would urge anyone who's listening to check out forty three two fishing. Um, he's on Instagram. He's. Do you have a website, Travis? I have a part of a website. Um, okay. it'll, if you go to my website, if you go to my website, 432fishing.com, it'll direct you to my email address <laughs> and you can email me and we'll talk fishing. But yeah. I just, I hadn't had time to finish it, man. I, there's so many things I want to do. Um, and I just like putting in all those skews and stuff for, I'm not, I'm not a website designer by any means, but I'm going to have to be at some point. So. Yeah, oh um, man. Small but, business, you got to yeah, wear a lot yeah. of hats. That's right, and I'm not good at that hat. That's my least <laughs> favorite part. Um, but, yep, yeah, um, I have, you know, Facebook and Instagram is, is 
probably the best way to reach me. Um, your, your Instagram name is what exactly? It's uh, 43 underscore 2 fishing. Yeah, I, I, I have been following Travis for a long time now. And uh, if you're looking for some really, really good fly tying tips, if you're looking for inspiration, if you're just looking to see some awesome flies, some uh, some pictures of some big bull redfish, some trout, <laughs> people catching sheep said it's a great place to be. So I, I would highly urge anyone to uh, to go check it out. Yeah, well, thanks, man. I really appreciate y'all having me, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll get back on here at some point, and maybe not ramble too much, but <laughs> no, rambling is is what we do. Um, okay, Travis, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, man.